Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Amanda Thebe. Amanda is a fitness and women's health expert with nearly 30 years of experience in the fitness industry. She's author of the Amazon best-selling book, Menapocalypse, How I Learned to Thrive During Menopause and How You Can Too. In the episode, she shares which strategies actually help you navigate weight gain, sleep troubles, and out-of-whack hormones throughout menopause, and which strategies are completely insane and should be ignored. If you're liking this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd write a review and share it with a friend. Enjoy the episode. Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. It's good to be here, Brooke. Thank you. Really excited to dive into this topic. I work with clients of all ages, but a lot of women in their late 40s, 50s, 60s, lots of struggles, pre-menopausal, during menopause, post-menopausal. So excited to dive into this topic. I know my audience is going to love this conversation. Can you start off and tell us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to write Menopocalypse? So I am I'm a personal trainer, much like yourself, and and I've got nutrition training too, and um, precision nutrition. I think it's sort of like a an industry standard. And I started doing this as in my oh my god, going all the way back. I think I've been a trainer now for well, I've been in the industry for nearly thirty years, and it was always as a hobby, as a, an interest. I actually worked in a tech company, IBM, for a lot of years, and um, but you know, I've continued with my education in training and human physiology. And, you know, I felt like I had a good handle on everything. I went into my 40s feeling like I was a good role model, somebody who was educated, somebody that you could turn to for, like, real practical advice, et cetera. And then, um, you know, and I had women who would come to me when I was coaching in person that would say, oh, menopause is kicking my ass today. And I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and that's all I would say. Yeah. I would again, no idea what you're talking about. That's not something that I need to know about. It's way down the line, blah, blah, blah. I mean, this is like, I'm 53 now. And when I was 42, I'd gone to a boxing class, come out of the boxing class and felt terrible. But you know that sometimes, Brooke, when you work out and you've just done too much and you're just like, oof, I pushed the needle too far on that mm-hmm. one. And it takes a while to recover. It just felt like that. But I didn't recover and I started to feel unwell. And that day I was like falling over. I had vertigo um, and I was throwing up. It was horrible. And I thought it, it must be a virus and it would get better. 
but it didn't. It just got worse. And and then what happened is over the next sort of two or three months, this thing just kept happening to me all the time. And I was like, what the hell's going on? I just, I don't feel like myself. I can't see properly. Um, anyway, so um, I then went to my doctors and went, look, I don't think this is a virus. Something's not quite right. And to give my doctor his due, he was like, well, you know, I don't know either, but let's do, do some testing. And Canada, you know, I people knock healthcare systems. It's a free healthcare system. And everybody that I went to see wanted to help me. But I then spent two years in this sort of medical wilderness, having test after test, and I mean like really expensive tests like MRIs, CAT scans, balance-induced testing, everything, all without any answers. And then 44, I went to a gynecologist and he was like, is everything okay? And I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Burst into tears like you do when you're feeling a bit crappy and and he, you know, he, he had a little chat with me, but then he immediately recognized that these were the symptoms of perimenopause. And sort of that was the start of me going, well, what's perimenopause? Why don't I know anything about this? And, you know, I'm too young and all of those conversations. So essentially for the last nine years, I did this deep dive into perimenopause and menopause and came out the other side with a, a massive community. I think about, about 100,000 women in my community now and a book and a podcast and like speaking events but i literally am just a person who talks about menopause and has tried to raise awareness and i, and I haven't sort of like veered from that path mm. i just i've reached out to all of the experts i very much am a, a very aligned with evidence-based practice with what the medical societies are saying i don't pretend to be a doctor i don't diagnose anyone because i know this happens in our industry and it drives me nuts but i definitely feel like i'm a voice of reason and people someone people trust in, mm -hmm. in the industry and so long story short, that's why I've become the person that's talking about menopause. And it was never on my bingo card. But here we are. Here, here we, we are. are. Well, I'm so glad you're talking about it and that you're this voice of reason. Um, and I definitely want to dive into that because like you said, there is so much misinformation out there and people just really preying on women who are going through this transition with supplements and quick fixes that must have been so scary for you, those symptoms you were having. You mentioned you got MRIs and all these tests. I mean, you must have thought something was seriously wrong with you at a certain point. That's terrifying. And also, I, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say exactly that. I actually was terrified because here's someone like yourself who's invested a lot of time and energy um, in our, my education and being healthy without and always like being very sort of like pragmatic about my health. I'm not one of those like extremists in any way. And my body felt like it was failing me without any reason. And um, when the doctor said to me, you know, you're in perimenopause, first of all, I was like, what does that mean? And then the second thing was like, phew. I don't have a brain tumor. And then I was just pissed off, right? Because right, I was like, right. well, it's stupid. <laughs> but 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 it but I know women in my community have my stories, you know, out there, but we've all got our story. And there's too many women have got the same story that resonates with them, like me, where they're where they're like, this isn't okay. Why am I spinning my wheels trying to get answers and coming away with more questions than ever? Right. And so it is a scary time for a lot of women. And the only real way to reverse that is to provide knowledge. Mm -hmm. Right. We've got to fill the knowledge gap because it's massive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
what exactly is menopause and how does it differ from perimenopause and postmenopause? Yeah, and that's a really great question. And, you know, like, because I've been talking on about it for like, like nearly a decade now, I'm like, surely we all know what that is. But honestly, we don't. And there was a recent survey done here in Canada by the Menopause Foundation of Canada. They randomly um, surveyed women and to ask about menopause. 46% said they had no idea what it was, completely unprepared for it. Half of the women almost and I'm like, it's no surprise, really, is it, Brooke, when you think about we don't get taught it in school. We talk, get taught about puberty, pregnancy, then we fall off that cliff, don't we? The reproductive cliff, we're like, who cares? Mm-hmm. You don't matter anymore. Doctors don't get any training about it. So we never hear about it from a medical perspective. Our parents, mums, aunts and relatives don't talk about it. It sort of was never really discussed. Um, workplace don't support it. Like it's just a missing part of the puzzle. So when people say, well, what's perimenopause? I have to remember that most women don't know what it is. So if you think about what menopause is, it simply means when you haven't had a menstrual period for 12 months, it tends to be a retrospective where you can look back in time and go, hey ho, isn't this wonderful? <laughs> I, I can't have babies anymore. I'm not getting a period anymore. And we have fireworks and a big party and then la-di-da, that's it. And then the time before that is called perimenopause. And so this is, I think, the bit that we need to talk more about because almost all women don't understand what this is. I think the tide is turning, hopefully. But like, for so for example, it can start in our late 30s, early 40s. A lot of people don't know that. I didn't. Um, And then it can last between eight to 10 years. And it's when our reproductive hormones start to decline and fluctuate. Progesterone sort of just declines. It sort of slips down and estrogen fluctuates as it declines. And it's those fluctuations that cause the majority of the symptoms. And that's the most symptomatic time for most women. Most women find that perimenopause is the worst time and then a few years into menopause and then it starts to calm down afterwards. And so we we find that um, our reproductive hormones start to decline and until we stop um, having our periods and then we, we go into menopause. Um, it's often the most misdiagnosed because our medical professional now, professionals sorry, don't have training in menopause. Um, and it's a very worrying time for a lot of women. A lot of the symptoms that present don't particularly feel hormonal, like all of the neurological symptoms like brain fog, depression, anxiety, insomnia, hot flashes, which actually are physical, but they start in the brain. And so we know that estrogen um, is on about 200, it has about 200 different receptors in the body. So it impacts the whole body, not just like the ovaries. So that's really interesting for women to learn about. And so then we, so we have perimenopause, it leads into menopause. And then everything after that time is postmenopausal or menopausal. It's sort of interchangeable. And a woman will be in a postmenopausal state until the day she dies. And so that could be 30, 40 years. And so that essentially sees her in this very low hormonal level of which our body can do well in it. We don't have to have those hormones to thrive, but it does pose some extra challenges. And it can also put us at higher risk of some of like the health 
the implications that you know ultimately we're faced with like cardiovascular disease alzheimer's osteoporosis diabetes and stuff like that so we're at a mm. higher risk but not an inevitable risk of those and so we can spend most of our adult life in one of those menopausal states and i think that that's something that a lot of women don't your eyeballs are like popping out your head you're like what yeah <laughs> i didn't know that but i think that it's really a, a disservice to women that we don't know that. Mm-hmm. In my I mean, it's as you're talking, it's absolutely crazy that half the world's population goes through this and it's just not spoken about much. And like you said, a lot of doctors aren't even educated. It's it's crazy. Like mm-hmm. half the world's population is going to spend the majority of their life in one of those states. And there's not a lot of guidance on how to navigate yeah. that. Yeah, the majority of their adult life. Yeah, and there's not a lot of guidance, but it's it's changing, thankfully. I mean, podcasts yeah, yeah. like this super helpful, and and my podcasts like this re- make a difference because you probably have quite a younger crowd as well. And I know when I was in my thirties, I was like menopause when my clients were saying, "Well, that's got nothing to do with me," and I don't. That's an old lady thing. And then when you realize that you know stuff can start happening in your early forties, it might it may sort of like perk up some like antlers there going, okay, I I need to know more about Mm -hmm. this. It's, yeah. Also, when you mentioned, you know, we get education maybe on school about puberty or then when we enter childbearing years, I'm thinking of all the courses on birthing a child that, you know, that birth is going to be a little blink in your lifetime. It's not going to be, I mean, it's going to seem very long, I'm sure. (laughs) But let's say it's 12, 24 hours long then it's over, but you've done all this preparation and all this work for that instance in your life. But then you're going to spend 40, 50 years in this other time period and, you know, maybe get zero guidance at all until, until now, until books like yours, until podcasts, like you said. Um, So I think it's good to talk about on your website. You say, I believe every woman deserves to be empowered in midlife and menopause. I help women take back their lives through education, support, and sane strategies. And I loved that because I also come from a very evidence-based background. I love, like you said, everything Precision Nutrition puts out, just very sensible, realistic, flexible strategies. But there's a lot of insane stuff out there, as we see, especially now that in the advent of social media in terms of nutrition, fitness, and something like menopause, what are some of the insane strategies you see circulating about handling this perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause transition that people should just ignore? And if somebody's talking about these things, just unfollow that person. Yeah, how long you got? How long yeah, exactly. Got? <laughs> well, you know, so it's really interesting because how I sort of came into this was, you know, from my education and, and stuff. So having a pretty good handle on most things um, to come to do with wellness. But then, you know, I call it wellness wankery. Like there's this whole part of the wellness world that I never knew existed. And I mean, it's just it's just snowballed out of control. Um, but when you look at the medical information that's out there, it's so hard to decipher that it almost feels easier and for women to be drawn into these like quick fixes, these supplements that are out there because they're 
they're touching women's pain points. And so what I mean by that is like, just say I'm someone who's gone through menopause and I've put some weight on and you're going to put it on around your middle because our fat deposits change. It's just the way it, our body's physiology works. Well, then somebody comes, you go to your doctor and he just goes, yeah, just go and lose some weight. And then, you know, Janice over here is like, do my 21 day keto fat busting menopause proven diet. Um, you're going to look towards that because you're telling me all of the things I want to hear. I've put, I've got fat, it's gone on my belly and I want to lose it quickly. And so it's that type of thing that I've seen more and more and it's just gone nuts. The industry's worth $16 billion. They're like the menopause marketing. So you've got people that are stepping way outside of their scope of practice. They're talking about hormone balancing diets, hormone fixing supplements and all of these things are made up marketing terms that don't mean anything and so how i think we counteract all of this sort of like this predatory type marketing that's out there is to, to know what the facts are and to be able to sort of pause and have some critical thinking skills and so for example um we know that if you want to know that you're in menopause you should be able to be diagnosed by symptoms alone, right? That's how you diagnose if somebody is in menopause or perimenopause based on their menstrual cycle and the symptoms they present with. Whether that happens or not in the medical world is a whole other argument, but that's how it's supposed to be. In the meantime, while women are sort of like floundering over in like conventional medicine, the alternative world have produced all of these menopause tests that are available and they don't help you some of them don't work the saliva testing i think clear blue are now doing this big push with gabriella union and all of these mm -hmm. celebrities they don't work it's not that they're a waste of money they actually don't work our hormones fluctuate and are dynamic and they move all the time and so a pinpoint in time with a saliva test is not necessary Blood work is not particularly necessary. And then there's these other tests that um, you or I could become qualified in testing, like they're called the Dutch test, the dry urine test. $900 minimum you're going to pay for that if you're a woman. And these unqualified coaches analyzing hormones and giving advice to women. And it scares the shit out of me. I'm yeah. just like... And, and, and the repercussions of these, while it might seem like it's potentially harmless, it's not. If somebody else is analyzing your hormones and they're not an endocrinologist or a gynecologist, they might miss something serious, right? They might actually be putting you in at harm's way because they don't know what they're doing. And mm. I find that terrifying personally. I do too. I want to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about a company I've been impressed by for years. Thrive Market is an online shopping platform that offers thousands of products at 25 to 50% off retail prices. For just $60 a year, you get access to a wide variety of premium pantry staples, supplements, beauty products, and home goods at unbeatable prices. To put things in perspective, I save about $20 to $30 per shipment, which means my annual membership fee pays for itself after just two orders. My favorite part about Thrive Market is that for every paid membership, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. 
So not only do you save money on your purchases, but you also make healthy products accessible to everyone. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. I'm sure you know, after doing nutrition certifications, like through Precision Nutrition, as you said, there's a certification for everything out there. I mean, if you just search online, I could call myself a hormone expert by next week by taking a course online. And it's very scary. So many people are doing that now. I mean, I'm seeing that term pop up everywhere and it scares me too. I mean, anytime a client asks me a question about supplements or hormones, I just say, you've got to go to your doctor. You've got to get blood work. I don't know what you're deficient in. I'm not qualified to read blood work. I mean, ask your doctor if you're worried about vitamin D. You know, I just always stay within my scope, but thousands, millions of people don't. So I think it's really important to call this out so people know uh, if you're call- if you're following somebody who says hormone expert and they're not an endocrinologist, probably just don't follow that person. <laughs> Unfollow and, them. And, yeah, it's exactly that. And and just to reiterate that this is a non-regulated industry that we mm-hmm. live in. Like the, the the fitness industry is unregulated, and there are charlatans out there doing tons and tons of certifications. I had a, a really good friend of mine said, oh, I've just done this really great course. And now if someone brings me their blood work, I can analyze it for them. And I went, no, you cannot. Yeah. Neither should you. It's just it's just not okay. And so, yeah, they're like genuine red, red flags. Other red flags as well are things like you said about supplements. Like if, if for, some, for us to stay in the scope of practice as like um, – nutrition coaches we can't give meal plans out that's illegal actually in the u.s right it's not illegal in canada but it's also frowned upon right but when it comes to supplements like you don't want your your um your client to be rattling and like with all these pills inside of them creating really expensive pee right Mm -hmm. like and, and sometimes actually taking extra supplements might feel safe but they might be doing more harm than good right and there's a lot of menopause ones out there that are like these proprietary ones that claim to do a ton of things like balance your hormones which i told you is a misnomer to um blast your belly fat get rid of your jiggly arms are really gross help your aching joints and usually they're a multivitamin um with a few extra sort of ingredients in but the fact is there's probably no proven um, studies to show that these ingredients help. They, the the supplement companies definitely aren't producing them. Um, And then you don't know the quality or the efficacy or the bioavailability, meaning if it gets absorbed into the system or not. And they're expensive, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm like you, like if you want to take supplements, find out what you really need to take. Mm-hmm. Right. I, for example, like someone was saying to me, you should be taking B12 um, vitamins now that you're in postmenopause. And I was like, well, why? I just had my blood work done and I'm over the normal range already. My body pre- and B vitamins, you just pee them away. No, yeah. your body doesn't want them. It just gets rid of them. And so I'm like you, like, let's just like stay in your lane, people. You know, if you're a personal trainer and nutrition coach, there's a ton of value you've got there. To help uh-huh. people without becoming a wellness wanker. 
Uh, yeah. Oh, I love that term. <laughs> I like that term a lot. You mentioned the accumulation of belly fat. Is menopause weight gain inevitable? And if so, what's the cause? Is it hormones? Is it eating too many calories? Is it both? What can somebody do if they're struggling with weight gain? Yes, is the answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. So is it inevitable? Probably um, the stats are against us, really. It's like over 80% of women will put some weight on a minimum of about five pounds when they looked at this statistically. Um is it because of hormones? There's no direct correlation between losing estrogen and progesterone and weight gain, but um, it does happen through midlife and it does happen through menopause. So we do have to look at some correlation there um, rather than causation, right? So what we can, what we know, what we absolutely know essentially means that the nutrition science as it stands and People don't like calories in, calories out. They get really triggered by it. But when you bring it down to what that means, it means the laws of thermodynamics. It means energy balance. It means, and you and I know this and accept this concept because it's science. Calories are simply a, a unit, a measure of energy. And our energy balance definitely becomes out of whack through perimenopause for a number of reasons. And so trying to find an equilibrium, this homeostasis where we just get enough energy in our body through menopause becomes way more challenging. And you know how I like to think about it is if just say you're doing a 100 meter sprint, all of a sudden somebody's put hurdles up and you got to start jumping over these mm -hmm. extra hurdles and it becomes a, a lot harder. And so if you, come, if you look at it this from just an experiential standpoint, which is a, what a lot of the studies have looked at, we see that women say they haven't done anything different. They're still eating the same and exercising the same. And that often isn't the case. When you we see that women um, start to slow down through menopause, they, they're not as active as they were. They become maybe less mindful of the food they're eating. And that might be because our hunger hormones get um impacted by falling estrogen, ghrelin and leptin. So the hormones that tell us that we're hungry and the hormones that are secreted that tell us when we're satisfied sort of become out of whack too. And so, we, you know, we, we become a little bit less aware of the food that we're eating. The odd nibble and the odd bite food adds up. Mm -hmm. We know it does. As coaches, we know it adds up. Our fat deposits change. We've already spoken about that. So we have shape shifting phenomena that happens so we've got less energy for sure energy regulation happens with estrogen our hunger hormones go out of whack <laughs> to put it mildly our body changes um and it shifts we definitely see uh, a different relationship with cortisol and insulin with estrogen as it declines and so what that looks like is when we have a different insulin response it means that we're sort of um we need to pay more attention to eating more whole food carbohydrates rather than the simple carbohydrates because these blood sugar spikes all over the place increased protein intake and a lot of these things can show up as increased belly fat not directly but more indirectly people say oh yeah you've got high cortisol left or you're going to have high belly fat well it's sort of the two different mechanisms really, but high cortisol can often mean poorer sleep. Mm -hmm. Poorer sleep outcomes can often mean increased weight. 
High cortisol can mean increased cravings. High cortisol can also mean less eating. Mm. <laughs> that's, how it, that's how it looks for me. When I'm highly stressed, I don't eat. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so it, it, it really is an individual thing. So all of a sudden, all of these different things are happening. And, you know, um, it looks as though menopause made me put weight on. But if that was the case, women wouldn't be able to lose weight in menopause. And they can and they do, right? So. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what some of the things I like to sort of one of the chapters in my book is why am I so bloody flat? It's, <laughs> it's because it happens to quite a lot of women. This happens. And so how I like to redirect conversation is you've put weight on. You're not happy. It's impacting your self-esteem, your self-worth. You don't like the way you look or feel. And that's valid. And we have to acknowledge that. But what are some of the factors that have really changed that will be impactful for you to change your body if that's what you want or, or even just to feel better probably sleep is the number one thing mm-hmm. most women's sleep gets disrupted through menopause so what can we do to improve your sleep from a lifestyle perspective or from a medical perspective like do you want to go and work with your doctor on this maybe hormone therapy is a consideration for you maybe other therapy is a consideration for you cbt's in in, in implicated to be really successful for sleep as are other lifestyle things improve including sleep hygiene maybe if you slept better you'd feel a little bit more um normal i can't yeah. another word to say where yeah. you can then you can look at planning your food potentially or looking at like moving a bit more mindfully right because often those things just get pushed back and so from a lifestyle perspective everything is connected nothing stands in isolation and you have to look at the whole picture and not just the number on the scale Mm -hmm. you mentioned supplements we want to avoid those anyone that are saying you know this tea will burn belly fat or you know just ignore but what about uh, from being a personal trainer, when people are selling these exercises of here's how to spot treat your belly fat by doing this ab seven minute ab workout. What do you say about using targeted exercises to get rid of that menopause belly as it's called? Yeah, isn't it gross? Someone called it the other day, a trucker belly. And I wanted to punch the screen. You can't spot reduce. And 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 one of the reasons that we need to sort of get rid of that is because it's almost as though social media has created the ideal fitness body and that that's what we should all aspire to look like when genetically that's almost impossible. Mm. We're all going to look different and fitness looks different on every single person you might have someone that's super tall and thin um that will never be able to gain muscle mass but will always look slim or you might have someone that's short and stocky that really really packs the muscle on and really looks like strong in that respect also has the potency to put weight on around their belly for example like we're all very different right so first of all know that your genetic makeup is the driver of your body shape right and it is the driver of how you build muscle, how you store fat, all of those things. As we get older, we start to store more belly fat. Men who? 
It happens mm-hmm. a lot to men, by the way, right? Um, and in order to reduce the amount of belly fat that you have, then you're going to need to look at your diet, right? Diet is how you will lose fat. And most women lose fat from the top down. It's just the way it goes. We lose it from our face, our shoulders, our boobs, potentially our belly afterwards. And um, so you can't you can't get to decide where fat goes. Yeah. Now, want to have a really strong core and do ab exercises i'm not like opposed to doing them and sometimes women are really good at them because we do tend to have like a strong core compared to men i think we do anyway just looking at like historically with my clients um and having a strong core can be a really good foundation for building up like back strength shoulder strength mobility and all of those things and so include that into a full body functional workout is my um like if you want you know sometimes when you work out you want to do a little bit extra do the abs at the end if you really like doing them and and you may be able to build up some extra muscles there but really even then it's not necessary if you're if you're working in full body exercises you work in your core then anyway mm-hmm. um but the, the, there is some evidence to show that visceral fat can be reduced with increased cardiovascular output. And so we could sort of talk about that a little bit. Like, so um, when you put belly fat on, it lands as subcutaneous fat. And I would say an easy way to remember that is your jiggly fat, right? Your yeah, jiggly, yeah. Your jiggly fat, we've all got it. You can grab hold of it. And, and visceral fat is the fat you cannot see. And it lives in and around the organs in the belly region. And you can have that if you're super skinny. You can have, you, you might not have it even if you've got extra body fat on you. You don't really always know. There's ways you can test for it. But visceral fat is potentially dangerous because that's the one that can increase our risk of, um, health, health outcomes and diseases. And there's some evidence to show that cardiovascular output can redistribute visceral fat. Mm. So just move more. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, it really, does it matter if you um, where if you know if you've got it or not? It, the, the the answer to that is walk more, move more, do get your heart rate up a little bit more. It's going to be super helpful for your overall health health outcomes. Right. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in evidence-based sustainable weight loss. If you're ready to stop yo-yo dieting and start living a healthy, active lifestyle you're proud of, I'd love to work with you in one of my programs. Unlike restrictive, one-size-fits-all diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed nutrition and lifestyle habits that work for your unique likes, dislikes, and time constraints so you can lose weight permanently, have high energy throughout the day, feel completely in control of cravings, and stay consistent long-term. To learn more, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Health Investment. It sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, what you're saying is the narrative that I am in menopause and therefore I'm doomed, I've gained weight and I can't lose it. That is false. It's just harder. It's harder. It's it's false, but it's harder. It's definitely harder. And anyone that's telling you that there's a diet out there that's cracked the code, like there's the one, the one that comes off the top of my head is the Galveston diet. Oh yeah, I hope I was glad you were going to bring that up. Yeah, 
There's a, there's a woman who uses appeal to authority. She is an OBGYN. So she's a doctor. So we still live, live, live in that state where we believe everything doctors tell us. And I don't know whether her medical advice is sound or not. I don't follow her, but her dietary advice in the Galveston diet, it's a 1200 calorie diet. It's intermittent fasting, which not every woman does well on. Um, and it's highly, highly restrictive. And women who go on it say it's successful for them because, yes, you've just created a huge calorie deficit. You've created a window to eat in that's restrictive. And you've created rules that are restrictive. So, yes, you're likely to be successful. Will you be able to, to sustain that? Chances you're not going to. Um, and that's why people like us with this balanced approach to like no food is bad, but try and eat a healthier, um, healthier meal and, and reduce some calories in this way. If you can focus on protein, all of those things falls on deaf ears when somebody else is saying, mm -hmm. I can like help you lose your weight in 21 days. And so I would just say to, to people out there that nobody has cracked the code on this. The best evidence we have for eating, for longevity, for health, and for losing weight and through menopause is something like the Mediterranean or the DASH diet where we've got a decent amount of data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's um, Dr. Mary Claire Haver, I believe. And someone asked me on TikTok once if they had to do intermittent fasting to lose weight in menopause. And so I responded to their question and I said, no, it can work for some people. You don't have to do it. The majority of women I work with actually do better when they introduce breakfast, especially if it's a high in protein and fiber. And I think I mentioned that she says that and you don't have to say it. And the response was insane. Her followers got so mad she came after me. I mean, I it's one of those videos, you know, you'll just put, put a video up and then move on with your day and you think it's just innocuous and nothing's wrong. But apparently it pissed off a lot of people. Uh, so you're not even supposed to disagree with her. No, yeah, she was like, that, you're attacking yeah. me. And I was like, I'm not, I literally just disagreed with you. And coming from a doctor, that was also insane to me that she could not handle me saying the opposite or disagreeing um you should be able to question someone's logic and they have to come up with the evidence to show otherwise now we have enough data to show that intermittent fasting can have some um, improvements on our inflammation markers but no nothing really that different to creating a weight loss from a calorie deficit it's so, so there's that um when you intermittent fast and you omit, say, breakfast and you're someone who works out in the morning, you're probably not going to have enough fuel sources to be able to have a decent workout. And so actually giving women permission to fuel for, and that's what the body's meant to do, is to right. fuel for activity. Shouldn't be contentious, um, but it is, right? And when you've created an almost cult following where people blindly don't, don't question you and accept it, it can mean, it can show you how social media is a pretty toxic place. And it's also happened to a colleague of mine too. And so I feel as though, um, let women do what they want. And if they feel good on it, fine. But mm -hmm. to say that there's a blanket statement out there that this is a superior way to eat is actually false mm -hmm. yeah that's that's misinformation it's also interesting what you just said 
to say intermittent fasting doesn't work for everybody, people read that as, well, it works for me and you're wrong. You know, there's there's not a lot of nuance. Everything's very black and white on social media. So if you if you live in the nuance and in the gray area as we do, and you say, well, it depends and it works for some, it does it for others, people really have cognitive dissonance with that and they can't handle it. It's like, no, you either do it or you don't. And it works for me. So therefore you're wrong. And what are you and doing same, out there? And the same can be said for hormone therapy. Because what's happened in the 10 years I've been or whatever I've been talking about this, I have listened to what the the position statements are from the menopause societies and I've listened to the medical experts and I've seen this chasm just like um, appear where you've got people saying hormone therapy causes cancer still, which is inaccurate. And then on the other side, doctors who've got private practices Mary Claire Hever is one of them. There's people in the UK too that are saying, you know, hormones are the are like a panacea, like the everybody should be on hormones. And it's so disrespectful to have conversations like this. And and the reason it's disrespectful is because menopause is unique to every single woman. And every single woman will have a different approach to her experience. Some will have a hellish time. I was one of them. And I was desperate to try hormone therapy. like, And so, and it was offered to me and it was great. Ultimately, it was the worst thing. It made me worse. It made mm. me suicide, suicidal. One of the things that people don't talk about when they talk about hormones is that it's a powerful drug. They're not mm. natural. They're created in a lab and you're not rubbing a wild yam on your thigh. You're actually <laughs> ingesting real drugs and there are implications and a lot of women who go on hormone therapy it completely restores their life they feel back to normal and it helps mitigate symptoms and they feel like they can carry on again and then there's people like me that don't do so well on it and there are other pharmaceutical options for them that should be taken into account and then there's other non pharmaceutical options that should be available to them. Things like cognitive behavioral therapy can really be helpful for women who can't take anything. And then there's also women that never want to. And so to me, there has to be a place for all women. And when you're seeing these sound bites about menopause and hormone therapy, and that's the only drum they're beating, that's a massive red flag for me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it sounds like you know, what just came through for me and what you said is you are the expert on your own body. And so even if somebody you follow that has a tremendous following is saying, this is what you should be doing. If you try it and it doesn't work for you, you're the expert on your own body. And you know, if something's working and you feel awesome, or if you feel suicidal, like you said, I mean, you have to listen to what your body's telling you. You've nailed it right. That's exactly how I have a, a massive Facebook group. And within the Facebook group, I'm forever like having to pull people back. Someone's saying, I don't feel good on hormone therapy or, you know, like, what should I do? And people are like, just increase your dose. Just do this. And I'm like, hey, just don't do that, please. You're not a doctor. You don't know anything about this person's medical background. And, and please don't do that in this group. It's completely inappropriate. The, the, the appropriate response should be, please go and see your medical provider or, you know, this is this was my experience. Mm -hmm. This is what worked for me. Why don't you ask your doctor that? Mm -hmm. It's a completely different conversation when you do it that way. But when women are like saying, yeah, yeah, just increase your dosage, you've 
you've no idea what you're talking about. None of us do. And so it's really, it's really important how we have these conversations because it's disempowering for women when you do that. It's empowering for them and it creates agency when you give valid information. And that's the difference. Yeah. I mean, just so well said. We're coming up on time. One of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and so it doesn't mean it doesn't mean money, thankfully, because one of the things I'm very keen to talk about in my work is the social determinants of health, right? Mm. Like it's and and it's such a privileged world we live in. And when you see social media soundbites, it's like, oh my God, do you have any idea that like people can't afford to eat at the moment? Mm-hmm. So my my way to invest in health for for women and particularly in menopause or anyone is every single thing you do in the day, look at it a way to step forward as progress in your health. Mm. It doesn't matter how big or small it is. So I would just say, look for those daily wins. Because what we're very good at doing as human beings is we're always negative. Oh, I didn't do a full workout. or I didn't even work out today. I'm such a loser. Instead of, I went for a 10-minute walk today and that was awesome. I'm the boss. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we can flip the switch on that and sort of turn this narrative into a positive where you make a positive choice to do that 10-minute walk and you've done it and that's a health-promoting activity you did, that's a win. Mm. I love it. I love it. Where can listeners follow and find you? I'll just head over to my website, amandathebe.com. All avenues lead from there. <laughs> oh, great. I love it. Simple. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, kind of the, the crux of this is less is more, right? Just let's keep it simple and just go to your website. I love it. <laughs> I've, seen, I've been on these websites where they're like, and follow me on LinkedIn and follow me on Twitter. And I'm like, oh my God, no, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to follow you in a hundred places. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. This conversation was incredible. I already know I'm going to blast it out to all of my clients, my former clients, my social media, and everybody's going to love it. Truly appreciate you giving us your time today. Thank you, Brooke. And good luck with the podcast. Thank you. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.